Good morning. Good morning. I guess it's morning. Yeah, it's stupid o'clock in the morning, your end. <laughs> yeah. Again. <laughs> yep. I know I, I put out a tweet like when I can't sleep, we record. <laughs> That's pretty accurate. <laughs> it is. You text me and I text you back and I, and I said, selfishly, it's so nice to hear from you. Yeah. But when I hear from you at this time of the day, it means that you are wide awake and can't sleep. Yeah. But at least we can find oh, wow. a way to keep you occupied. Yeah, I agree. It's nice. I'm not just sitting here doing, you know, just watching the clock. There you go. This fly there won't leave go. me alone. There's a fly in here bugging me. It's a shame that I can't send you one of my cats. Oh, they'll take care of the flies? Oh, they are experts. They are experts. But um, it bit Willow in the backside the other day because she jumped up and clapped what she thought was a fly and it was actually a bee. Oh. Yeah, poor baby. She'd never been stung before. And, um, That's she was sad. Pretty, I know, she was so freaked out. The thing is, you can't explain. If it was one of your kiddos, I mean, it'd be equally as sad. But at least you could say, it's okay, it'll go in a minute. It's not... It's not permanent. It's just a bee and it will stop hurting in a minute. Let's, you know, yeah. let's get some cream on it. Let's, you know, I don't know, give it a like, blow on it, give it a magic kiss, whatever you do to soothe your kids. But with a cat, you just have to let them freak out until, until, they, <laughs> until they get over it. Yeah. <laughs> until they stop like running around the house like a mad thing, pulling a face. Oh, it's all good. Yeah. But she'd get that fly for you. No bother. Yeah, and uh, sometimes in the summer, there's a lot of flies out in the high desert. Oh, it gets annoying. Yeah, I guess because of the, I don't know, the air pressure, like pushing them in or something. I don't yeah, know. maybe. I don't know, but it's it's annoying. Tell me. So, invest in a cat. Abraham really wants a cat. He really wants an orange cat. I don't know why, but it has to be orange. Apparently... Orange cats are a bit, I don't want to say dumb, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I'm actually part of a Facebook group called Orange Cats Share One Brain Cell. And it's just essentially a group where people who have orange cats just shame their cats and put videos and pictures up of their oranges being stupid. <laughs> but I think you should get an orange cat. Yeah, he... I probably will when he's a little bit older, but he really wants one now. Cats are awesome. I was never a cat person when I was younger. I've always been a dog person. Yeah, I'm not really a cat person either. Um, so I struggle with it, but if that's what he wants, that's what he wants. Yeah. It turned out to be the best thing we ever did, getting a cat, to be honest. Especially if you get, like, Willow's a Maine Coon. So essentially, yeah. she's like a dog that doesn't bark and doesn't need walking. I mean, it doesn't get better than that. Yeah, that's true. So, what are we talking about today? Well, it's the final countdown. <laughs> Look at you singing now. I know. Well, you haven't I'm... serenaded me for weeks. Oh, do so, you feel sad? Yeah, someone has to pick up the slack. It was very nice. Thank you so much. I wonder if the crowd's going to like your singing better than mine, the audience. I mean, I don't think that that's necessarily 
the right terminology. Maybe it would be which one distressed them least. <laughs> yeah, which one did you? I really want to talk about, before we get into what we're actually here to talk about, See. I would like to bring up the message we got on Instagram that I shared with you yesterday. Oh my word, yes. Do you want to, do you want to talk about it? Yeah. So we got a message Just... from one of our listeners, Kerry, who told us that we'd been nominated for or were somehow in, I'm still not entirely sure how it worked, but we were somehow in the running for a British podcast award. Yeah. And I'm embarrassed to say as a British person, I had no idea (laughs) that we had podcast awards. I had no idea that there were any podcast awards, certainly not that we had any in Britain. And nobody from said British podcast awards let us know (laughs) at any time that we were being considered. No. So this was the first that we'd heard of it. Somehow I'd managed to miss the message entirely. Tiffany texted me a screenshot and said, did you see this? And unfortunately it was on like the 6th or the 7th. Which was the day after. Yeah. And voting had closed on the 5th. Yeah. (laughs) So we don't know how it happened how it came about that anyone, we don't know if one of our listeners nominated us. We don't know if they sort of just grabbed us up from somewhere or if they looked at Spotify ratings. We we genuinely have no idea how this came about. All we know is that we we were up for consideration and that we've somehow missed the boat by not being able to tell anyone and ask you all to vote for us. Yeah. So if any of you know how that happened, please let us know. So that we can be more prepared where we're lucky enough to have it happen again. Yeah. So if it happens next year, we can actually like ask you guys to vote for us so we can, you know, stand a chance. But the fact that we even made it on there was, I was ecstatic. Me too. It's absolute madness. Oh yeah. That was really cool. It was very cool. So thanks, Kerry, for letting us know. That was brilliant of you to let us know. And mm-hmm. Kerry also said that she'd voted for us. So we know we got at least one vote. <laughs> at least one vote, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. But again, it's just our brilliant listeners that have yeah. Yeah. You know, made that happen, whether it's because one of them nominated us or because people are listening and someone's picked it up because of the listenership. So just brilliant, brilliant listeners. And talking of our brilliant listeners, actually, unless you've got any more that you wanted to say about that. No, I just was really touched by it. And yeah, even though we didn't make it on the short list, the fact that we were on any list just really, I thought that was amazing. Yeah, it's mad, isn't it? I wanted to... I mean, we've got no, we've got no budget for this thing and it's just, you know, us sitting at home, me in my kitchen, you in your lounge room or or, or Josh's office or wherever you happen to be that day. Yeah. Wherever Um, I am that day. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm kind of um, trying to ask Julia to chop more quietly and you're (laughs) you're trying to, trying to shove Super Mario in front of the kids to contain them. And this is just to something distract that, them. Yeah. yeah, this is something that we just kind of throw together uh, to a certain extent in our, in our houses in the spare time that we have. And 
and that we predominantly do for our pleasure and it's a way for us to spend time together and enjoy ourselves and mm-hmm. it got us nominated for an award a national yeah. award that's Nuts. awesome so yeah again thanks guys for supporting us and and allowing that to happen but um yeah i wanted to mention if i may do you remember hannah from germany Mm -hmm. she wrote back because you asked hannah a few questions you put your own questions to hannah and hannah's come back to us and she also said that she was super impressed with what you said in german that means a lot to me because I thought it was horrendous. No, and she said, I'm super impressed with what you said in German. Feeling, feeling dank. It made me already a little better hearing you. Oh. Yeah. Oh, jeez. so sweet. And you remember you said to Hannah that you didn't watch Station 19 in German because Karina doesn't have the cute Italian accent. Well, Hannah said they do give her an Italian accent in the German version, but that oh. it's so bad that she sounds Russian. Oh, God. <laughs> so, sorry, shaming the voice actor who, who, who voices Karina in the German version. Yeah. But apparently you sound Russian, love. And so she says that she doesn't watch it in German either for that reason, because it's, okay. it, it's apparently terrible. Because it's bad. Yeah. Um, she agrees with you that I would be a Luna Lovegood Ravenclaw. Mm. She said she said some stuff about me, but I don't know whether to say it because it sounds like <laughs> I'm bigging myself up when I say it. <laughs> I'll say it, and then if I fa- feel like I sound conceited when I say it back about myself, then I'll delete it and edit oh, it out. Okay. But she said that um, she said that since I'm a lawyer, I must be kind of smart, and that I sound smart to her. So that's why she would say so. But and she also said that British accents always sound smart to her. But you can probably put put Hannah straight there and say I am really not that smart. <laughs> like you just you just watched me try and put headphones on my head. <laughs> we all have our moments. It's okay. <laughs> So I literally cannot figure out headphones, so I don't really know how smart that makes me. I think you're smart. I think it's fine. Thank you. Compared to what (laughs) is the thing? But um, also she got back to us on the sign language front. And you know how I love it when I can learn something. I love that every day is a school day. She told us something super interesting. Well, I think it's super interesting, but maybe I'm just being a nerd. So she doesn't actually sign as a general rule because she can hear well enough with hearing aids not to. And her family doesn't sign. But during lockdown and COVID, just because why not? Because there was nothing else to do. Hannah started to learn sign and... The DGS, so German Sign Language, is very similar to American Sign Language, more similar than it is to British Sign Language. So she says she does understand Jack quite a bit, especially when he fingerspells, because it's so similar. But the nerdy reason that I loved 
hearing this because the tidbit that Hannah gave us is that's because DGS is heavily influenced by American Sign Language because of all the American GIs and stuff, the soldiers that were stationed in Germany after the Second World War because obviously a lot of people became hearing impaired in the Second World War because of bombs going off, et cetera, et cetera. And so because they had American soldiers in Germany, their sign language just got kind of muddled in with German sign language. And so it all kind of, yeah, became kind of a a mixture of German and American, which is why ASL is so similar to DGS. Yeah, that's very interesting. Thank you, Hannah. Yeah, thanks, Hannah. I genuinely love stuff like that. (laughs) Tiffany knows Mm -hmm. what a geek I am. I love history, so anything like learning about, I loved history um, growing up and in school. So, yeah, that's cool. How can we kind of understand who we are without knowing who we were and where we come from? Yeah. Like history is like the biggest influencer of everything, right? So. So, yeah, so genuinely thank you, Hannah. Loved that. Loved it. Um, Shall we now do the finale? (laughs) I can't believe it. We're at the the season one finale. I can't believe that we've had to go 10 episodes in a row with no Karina DeLuca. Yeah, it's been a little bit rough, hasn't it? I've made it. You have, has it? I've still got another season and a bit to go, though. You do. It's all right. And the next and season two is a lot longer. It's like 17 episodes, I think. Don't. <laughs> it's not 10. Going to have to find an excuse to put a Karina-centric episode of the podcast in before then. I can't go another 17. No. Without her. It's with I can't go on without her. <laughs> so dramatic. I can't go on without Karina DeLuca. Just, she's just, you know, just the heartbeat of the show. <laughs> so here we are, the finale. We've made it. 110, Not Your Hero, originally aired on the 17th of the 5th, 2018. As we said at the close of last week's podcast, Stacey McKee got back in the writer's chair for this one. And Paris Barkley. I love him. Paris Barkley directed. Oh, God, is he. And so he directed this one. As soon as you see his name on the credits, you know to get excited. So we expected a banger. And it didn't disappoint, in my opinion. We didn't get a cold open. So in a departure from all of the cold opens that we had, instead we had a flash forward of the events that are to come during this episode alongside a slightly less annoying than usual voiceover from Andy about how they're not heroes, they're just folks showing up to do their jobs. Yep. Sound fair? Yeah, I think that sounds fair. Now, sometimes her voiceovers are so long, like so long. Like, come on. We got yeah. it. She's so overdramatic. 
So it's the person that just had a nervous breakdown about going another 17 episodes without Karina DeLuca. <laughs> without anyway, Karina DeLuca. Karina DeLuca. Um, anyway, then after the flash forward, we, from Andy's perspective, see her waking up to the sound of Maya shuffling none other than Charlotte Dearborn out of her apartment. Andy opens her eyes to seeing her arch nemesis and her best friend in the living room in their underwear. And Maya says that she didn't know that it was Dearborn when she picked her up last night because they weren't focused on names. And uh, seeing as it's self-care Wednesday, she was just interested in a casual one-time game of Scrabble. Did you see any... Any like any even a flicker of chemistry there like none none whatsoever. I actually put that in my end bit to to ask you. Did you think there was any chemistry? It was like painfully no points for effort and commitment because <laughs> I mean Danielle was acting like she was enjoying it. <laughs> But you could very much see that she was acting like she was enjoying it. And I mean, they went for it. There was plenty of contact. But I guess you can't manufacture chemistry. It's either there or it's not. So you can be the greatest actor in the world, which I genuinely believe Daniel Savory is up there um, with some of the best actors certainly working today. Um, But if you've got no chemistry with your scene partner... Like, that's not anyone's fault, I guess. So who do you think the best actor is on Station 19? I mean, I genuinely believe, hands down, it's Danielle and Stefania. I think I couldn't put a, a, a razor blade between them. I think that they're both exceptional. Do you think them, out, of the, out of everybody, them two are the best? Yeah, and I don't think Barrett Doss is far behind them. And I think maybe, I think if they gave her different content, she could also jump up there. Mel Dandridge is very good. Thank you. (laughs) But it's because she's new. It's because she's new that she didn't jump to mind immediately. But she's also also very, very, very good. And I think that if she gets a greater range of stuff to explore... We'll see more of that as well. But I think a lot of it is down to, you know, what they're given to work with, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I agree. And so if they're not given, if they're not stretched, right? Like, I don't, I don't yeah. feel like in season one, they were stretched that far. No. Yet, I think they were still feeling them out, you know? Yeah. Um, and as the seasons go on, they stretch them more. Like, to me, Barrett gets stretched when Ripley passes away. Like, so now they're stretching her acting and what she can do and make, you know, make how... Because to me, a good actor makes you feel things, right? Oh, like, yeah. makes you emotionally connect and feel things. And and um, when Ripley passed away, Barrett Doss was very easy to connect to in that feeling of how she was... The stupid fly is going to get me. That fly loves you. It's driving me nuts. Um, I'm telling you, but you yes. get a cat. I know. I'm, I'm going to come home with a cat today after work. I'm like, go find a cat. <laughs> so, yeah, no, you're right. I think it depends on whether 
the script they've been given stretches them or not. And there are just certain people yeah. that I don't think get overly stretched. Yes. I don't think Jay Hayden is massively stretched. No, he's had a couple scenes, I think, that have to do with Michael, where he's been stretched a little bit. But those are in the earlier seasons. Yeah. They tend to make him the goofy, funny kind of filler guy. Yeah. Which he's a good actor, but to me it would be on the easier side to be funny, right? Because you just kind of crack the line. and Yeah, and I think um, funny is something similar to chemistry. Yeah. Either you're funny or you're not. So I don't think yeah. comedy is something that you can necessarily learn. I think it's a talent you can hone if it's something you already possess. But if he's right. a naturally funny person, which it appears that he is, Jay Hayden, then making Travis the comic relief isn't going to be any stretch for him. He's just going to essentially be himself, I guess. Yeah. It was something Stefania said in um, in Paris when my mom asked her if she was a, um, a foodie like Karina. Yeah. And um, she said that she's a foodie. She loves food, but she can't cook. And then she said that she felt cooking was a lot like it was a, it was a skill a lot. She was like a lot like acting, like you can teach yourself to act, but if you don't have the skill, you won't be that good at it. Yeah. Um, and she felt it was the same with cooking. Like you can teach yourself to cook, but you might not be that good at it versus if you just naturally had the skill to cook. Yeah. And so I kind of feel like that's why some of the actors are maybe not stretched as much because they're not good at that kind of acting. So they could do it, but it maybe wouldn't come across as well as uh, somebody else doing it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes, that makes perfect sense. Where were we? We digressed. I love it when we digress though. That was a really interesting. You don't mind our little trailing off. No, because trailing off. That's what we do because we're just, having a conversation right we are we're just chatting yeah so it's just natural. this fly is gonna just be it's the (laughs) villain of the day it's the villain of the piece i'm watching it like fly in and then it's like assessing your face it's like where am i gonna where am i gonna land it's like landing on my forehead and it's like oh go find something else this house is huge (laughs) yeah but you're the most interesting thing in it i must be is the thing. Maybe he wants to watch Station 19. Probably. I was, you know, that's what I was watching when you, you messaged me that you were ready. There you go. I was like, Sullivan's is rescuing Ross. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> With his big baldy head poking out of the rubble. Bless all him. like, like looking <sighs> all aggressive, you know, like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then she's just like limp noodle. And I literally was sitting there watching it thinking, I want to talk about this one again. Like, I want to record this one again. Did we, we already recorded this one? Darn it. Because I wanted to it record was, it again. It was an absolute banger. We'll have to do like it a was. revisit or something. Yes, I'd be down with that. Do a revisit at some point. But where were we with this one? So, oh yeah, I think Maya was was just shuffling um, Dearborn out of the apartment, wasn't she? Yes. Yeah. So before she leaves, Dearborn gives Andy a hard time about her sit down with Ripley, which is apparently happening that day. And she says that it's going to be all or nothing for Andy, but it was basically just red tape for her. She thinks she's a shoe in. 
And then Maya calls Dearborn Wednesday. <laughs> Come on, Wednesday. Okay, Wednesday. It's now Thursday. <laughs> they have the brief game of tonsil tennis that we were discussing before she chucks her out of the apartment. And then Andy says that Maya almost ruined her last day as captain. And Maya says she thinks it's just Andy's last day without officially having the title and then asks her if she needs a pep talk or not. And Andy says she just wants to enjoy what she has, Dearborn free. And then I was quite proud of Maya because she actually stands up to Andy in her BS and says Andy doesn't get to say who she brings home when she's crashing on Maya's couch. Which, why is she on the couch? Doesn't she have a guest room? Mate, that is literally, <laughs> that is literally the first thing on my list. Why is Andy on the couch and not in what will become her bedroom at least twice in the future? Is verbatim yeah. what I have written. Like, now she's on the couch. Yeah. So that annoyed me. It's just the little things. But obviously they've changed Maya's apartment, haven't they? Because in that scene, there was like one of those half walls yeah. behind the couch. Right. Which is no longer there. Right. So I assume that in season one, Maya's apartment in their heads was a one bedroom and then they were hoping that we'd all get amnesia <laughs> so that in I think it might even be episode two of season two that Maya invites Andy to come and move in so I, yes. I think they're all hoping that we'll forget that it's a one bedroom so they can quickly like add that in where station 19 fans are brutal about n- noticing things like it's it's bad. You know, we're very smart people. <laughs> we're very discerning. You're a Ravenclaw, of course. Uh, exactly. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever that means. But, you know, don't you can't sneak this shit past us. We're no. on it. We're on it. We are. We got it. You're so funny. <laughs> But um, the absolute gall of Andy telling Maya she didn't appreciate seeing Dearborn when she's in Maya's house, though. That's just Andy, though. It's just like classic Andy. That's just, it is. Just unbelievable. Um, anything else about that one or shall we hit, hit no, 19? We Let's hit 19. Let's hit 19. So we get another mini girl scene there because Andy, Vic, and Maya are having a little powwow. And we find out from Vic that Ripley's holding all the captain interviews at the station, which neither she nor Maya are very happy about. But Andy says to Maya that she didn't seem to mind having the captain's candidates up in her space last night. (laughs) And (laughs) Vic, who we know is a sucker for gossip, wants to know what Andy's talking about. But Maya changes the subject, asking what Andy's going to say in her sit down with Ripley and she says she's just going to be herself but that it's essentially out of her hands and then Vic says that she's sensing some resignation from Andy but Andy says she's just got a hunch that it's not going to be her whilst she shoots her dad a bit of a filthy look (laughs) across reception then Travis and Grant come in and they're carrying bags full of breakfast supplies and Vic and Maya take the mick out of poor old Travis Maya's grinning all over her face and Vic asks Grant if he woke up at Travis's because if so, it's huge because Travis doesn't let anyone <laughs> sleep over. Mm-hmm. And 
And then <laughs> this bit was so weird. She invited herself to third wheel it with them at some of their upcoming gourmet meals, but she made it sound really dirty as if she was inviting <laughs> herself in on their, um, oh. well, their, reg- their regular Scrabble game. <laughs> Oh god! Oh god! Didn't it seem that way to you? Like the way she was like, "Oh, you know, I'll come and enjoy your gourmet meals with you." (laughs) Melissa, that was honestly like that was the weirdest choice for her to make. That's what it sounded like to me, and like the way she curled her lip and growled, like "I'll come see your gourmet meals." She made it sound filthy. I'm telling you, watch it back. I'll have to. I did not get that at all. I'm happy to be wrong. You need to call me a big perf. But it was weird. It was weird. I've never used that tone of voice or that kind of facial expression when discussing dinner. And this is coming from someone who is a massive foodie. Like, I don't I was going to say, I don't know. I like food. Yeah. I mean, I. You know, you know that not much gets between me and a pizza, but even I've never... I think you eat pizza more than anybody that I know. (laughs) I don't know what to tell you. I love it. We have a pizza for dinner tonight. I'm excited to try one of your homemade pizzas when I come visit you. Oh, my God. When you eat one of Julia's pizzas, you'll understand. Okay. You'll understand. She makes this pizza. I'll hold you to it. Honestly, she makes this pizza called an Alapana pizza, and it's literally just her homemade pizza base with cream on it, some mozzarella cheese, and prosciutto. And then she's she's got a pizza oven, and she fires this thing for like 90 seconds. And I swear down, it's the best thing you'll ever put in your mouth. That's as long as it takes? It only takes 90 seconds? Mm-hmm. Wow. In a pizza oven, that's all it takes, in a proper dedicated pizza oven. So, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Well, actually, it's pretty hot, but... um. <laughs> God. Look at you being punny. I know. Well, I know you enjoy a pun. I do enjoy a good pun. So I just thought I'd crack out a bit of dad humor for you. Thank you. Good dad joke. Thank you. You're quite welcome. Anyway, let's move on from what may or may not have been filth from Victoria Hughes. Maya asks Grant if they're still on next week. Because she and Vic have apparently been trying to get Grant to try aerial yoga with them. But Travis seems particularly unhappy that Grant's ingratiating himself with Travis's friends. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he all but frog marches Grant out of the station. But Grant sticks to his straightforward, no-nonsense approach and says that if making plans with Travis's friends is going too fast for Travis and he wants him to slow down, he should just be upfront and say it and that he expects Travis to give him the respect to talk to him about things, and that he'll see himself out. I don't really like Grant in that scene. I don't know why. I just didn't really care for him in that scene. Well, I wondered if you would think that Travis was overreacting to Grant making plans with Mike. I don't think he was overreacting. I just didn't think that he he handled it as well as he could have. He should have been open in his communication and his expectation, but I think Grant was a little bit rough on my end, I think, but I think he was just annoyed. I think he could have, to me, he came across just pretty cold towards Travis. And yeah. 
and he knows tra- that he knows Travis is going slow and and like Travis was like like really like he told him like a really slow you know yeah and so it should be like he should have thought of that when he was doing like maybe asked him for permission first like I know you want to go really slow is this something that's okay with you so I just think he kind of I don't know. I sided with Travis on this one, even though he, he could have been a little bit more respectful about it. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe there was a bit of embarrassment for Grant because Travis was quite obvious in his not being very, that he wasn't very pleased. And maybe it was embarrassing for Grant, for Travis to act that way in front of Warren Vic, maybe. Yeah, I can see that. So he was... I think there was fault on both sides. I don't think either of them handled themselves that fly. <laughs> You're seeing me like wave my hand frantically yeah. at this fly. But uh, no, I don't, I don't think either Travis or Grant covered themselves in glory in that situation. I think there yeah, was I agree. blame on both sides. Also, I can't imagine Maya doing any kind of yoga, even aerial yoga, maybe even especially aerial yoga. Yeah, I don't see her being a yoga person either. Like, she'd just be running on a treadmill while they were doing yoga or something. Krav Maga, I see that in Maya's life. Not necessarily yoga. Right. Imaginative ways to punch people, sure. But sad and happy baby pose. (laughs) Less. Um, Ben has arrived... Finally, he's turned up later than everybody else with Miranda in tow and he's fretting because he was sent to get breakfast tacos from a particular place, which when he got there was closed down. So he's obviously arrived taco-less and Miranda's accompanying him to the beanery where she says she's about to read everyone the riot act if they give Ben a hard time for the lack of tacos. But it turns out that they sent him on a fool's errand on purpose so that they had time to set up a big celebratory breakfast for him. And Miranda's been in on it the whole time. So because he has now run into 50 fires and Maya adds that he's also run out of 50 fires and so congratulates him on not being dead. um, He officially is not a rookie anymore. So they throw him the keys to the aid car and says he can now drive And then Miranda says that she's proud of him and skedaddles before checking with Pruitt that she's going to see him later. And then (laughs) there was just a really funny bit that I didn't want to leave out, which is Ben asks how they all know that he can drive. And Travis confesses that Vic cracked his email password, which is hot, hot Miranda. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was funny. I thought that was cute. Also my email password, coincidentally. Right. (laughs) Just change it to Karina. My love is pure. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm not saying it's not. So hot, hot Karina would be inappropriate. With the, oh, jeez, she's going to start pure, sweating with, again. With the pure don't, <laughs> with the pure love. I am a little bit sweaty. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Pruitt tries to talk to Andy, but she's having precisely none of it and says that whilst he's entitled to his opinion of her, she can't forgive him for tanking Jack as well. And she says to Pruitt that she would have hoped that he would have had a little bit more faith in the team that he built and a little bit more faith in her as his daughter. And he apologises for making her angry, 
and tells her that she's got every right to be, but she wants to know if he's sorry about what he said to Ripley, but he isn't. And so she just walks away. So do you think that she actually is angry with Pruitt for tanking Jack, or is she just saying that to cover the fact that she's angry that he tanked her? And she's just trying to make it look like it's not the Andy show. I think she might be a little bit, a, a little bit genuinely angry because she probably does want it to stay within nineteen. Yeah. And if she, if he didn't stand up for Jack, then and he knows she didn't stand up for her, that then who's it going to leave? Right? It's going to bring in an outsider. And so I yeah. can see her being a little bit upset. Yeah. So it's not for Jack's sake that she's angry. It's for hers and 19's sake that she's angry about the yeah. Jack Yes. Not like you tanked this person that I care about deeply. It's like you tanked this person and now we're all screwed. Yes. I can get on board with that. And is Andy right then that he should have had more faith in both the team and her? I think he should have had a little bit more faith in them. I'm not saying that I think either of them are ready, but I think he... He didn't have to be so, like, he kind of talked about it like they weren't ready at all. Um, And I'm not quite sure if I don't think maybe Jack would have done a good job. He might have done a good job. Maybe. I don't know. I haven't really thought about that before. I wonder if he's a bit too conceited at that point in his life. He seems very... Cocksure. Yeah, like he's quick to quick to go, quick to make a decision, quick to quick to run into the fire, right? Yeah. I'm not sure if he's a calm enough or like considered enough. I think that maybe he's got a bit too much of a Captain America kind of yeah. um, right. attitude at that point. Sure. I think that you need just that little niggle of doubt to you know to you actually really question yourself and think critically about the decisions rather than like i know best you know i'm always 10 steps ahead i know the answer i'm i I wonder if he's a little bit too much like that at this point in his life yeah i could see that but i do think he has some captain qualities oh completely yeah oh yeah absolutely i wonder if i'm still on board with pruitt you know and even if I don't agree with him, which I, I kind of do agree with him, but even if I didn't agree with him as far as the decision that he came to, I don't think looking at it through his eyes, he could have come to any other decision because she's saying, well, you should have more faith in us. But what have they done to show him that they would pull together as a team if he'd made either right. Jack or Andy captain? Because he kind of did make Jack and Andy captain in the run-up because they were flip-flopping. They were, you know, doing shift on shift, exchanging the captain's role. Right. And it was chaos because the team weren't united against their captain. They were all undermining each other and there was all the backbiting. Then it came out that, you know, that Jack and Andy had had an affair. So I think that if he just looked at the track record, they didn't take well to Jack or Andy as captain. Mm-hmm. When their preferred candidate was in the driver's seat, they were right. pretty childish and ridiculous about it. So I, 
you know, when you try and look at it from his point of view, how could he say, well, this person's going to be better for it than that person when 50% of the team have been idiots 50% of the time? No, I understand. And I also think that if he'd said to Andy, yeah, no, I am sorry for what I said to Ripley and took it back, I think that actually would have been worse. Yeah. Because then he's done all of that damage for absolutely nothing. Yeah. So the the fact that he sticks to his guns and says, no, I'm still not sorry for what I said to Ripley, means that he really, really thinks he's done the right thing. Mm -hmm. And I don't think you can ever blame anybody for doing what they genuinely think is right for all the right reasons. Yeah. Just my two cents. But then the candidates for captain are all sitting outside a room waiting to talk to Ripley. Andy approaches and tries to speak to Jack and he won't even look at her, let alone interact with her. And then all of the candidates' phones go off, bar Jack and Andy's. They're they're two of the only phones that don't ring. And then with that, the rest of the board, along with Dearborn and Ripley, exit the meeting room and Ripley apologises to Jack and Andy that the interviews are postponed due to a skyscraper fire downtown where he's needed. At that point, Jack finally sees fit to talk to Andy and tells her that he's got some regrets about some things that have happened at 19 and therefore if he doesn't get the captaincy, he's going to leave and start fresh somewhere else. Then Dean corners Jack in the locker rooms and starts to have a bit of a heart to heart with him. And he says to Jack, you know, you used to be my guy and you went from being my guy to us not hanging out. Then we stopped talking and Dean says that he now knows that that's because Jack had a thing going with Andy behind Dean's back. And he says that now things between them are just plain weird but he can't get any further with his conversation because Andy, quite appropriately, <laughs> interrupts and gets in between them and calls for a group meeting in the barn. And it's less a meeting and more of a prep session. And they're prepping all the equipment ready for when they're inevitably called in to help with the skyscraper fire. And then Andy starts going over what the protocol is for a skyscraper fire, which is apparently different to standard structures. And Travis reminds them all of the rule that they save firefighter lives first. Can we all say foreshadowing? Yeah, seriously. I thought about that when he said that. I was like, wait, wait, wait. okay. Yeah. <laughs> then Maya says about 86 times that she wants to get in there, that she needs to be in the fire. Vic says it wouldn't be so bad if they didn't get called in. Andy says that it would be the worst of the worst. And Maya says that it would kill her soul. (laughs) (laughs) Andy hasn't spoken about herself for at least two and a half minutes at this point. Oh, jeez. Oh, no, which means that she needs to tell Maya and Vic immediately about her latest drama. And so she tells them that Jack wants to leave. And she sort of 
rambles on. That's not what she ever wanted. And she can't imagine 19 without him. Um, all Vic is concerned about at this point is if she can have Jack's locker if he does go. <laughs> and then Maya reminds Vic that Jack's boots are super stinky. So maybe that's not the smartest move. Have you got anything to say about any of that stuff? Not yet. No, me neither. So then we go to Warren, who is sitting in the driver's seat of the aid car, very excited about his opportunity to drive. And he says that it reminds him. Yeah, it was brilliant. It was cute. It was very cute. And he says that it reminds him of when he got his first solo surgery and that he's taking it as a sign that he's doing something right and moving forward. And it's sweet because he says he wants to make Miranda proud. And he says he wants her to see him pulling up with a patient. Mm -hmm. And whilst it's a bit morbid, it's still quite sweet that he says he wants the emergency to be something that she'll enjoy dealing with. (laughs) He's like, I'd I'd love it if it was something that that excited her, like a triple A or something, you know? Yeah. Oh, God. Um, Travis muses that Ben is lucky to have a person that he can share things with and tells him about how Grant had snapped at him earlier. But he does say that he thinks that Grant was within his rights to do so. But he says that his situation with Grant is complicated and difficult for him because he hasn't felt the way that Grant makes him feel for a very long time. And then Ben says that they're going to have a damn good day that day. They're claiming it. And after said damn good day, Travis is going to tell Grant just that, what he just told Ben. And Travis agrees. That does sound like a damn good day. And with that, the alarm goes off and they're called to the skyscraper fire. So my soul will be saved. (laughs) So you liked that scene. Between... I just thought it was cute. I thought Warren was cute in it and yeah. how he was like, it's going to be a good day. I just thought it was really cute. It was something positive and yeah. it wasn't like a, you know, a huge scene, but I just thought it was a cute little scene. I did too. And it's the evolution of Ben as dad. Yeah. Yeah, and for sure. It, and it was nice to hear Travis's perspective on that conversation and that he knew that he was out of order and that yeah. he should have dealt with it better. And it's nice to know where his head's at as well, because he's been playing the cards close to his chest, so it's nice to know that he does actually kind of have feelings for Grant and he's not just mucking him about. Yeah. So now we're going to the fire. So we turn up at the skyscraper. I love to say that's the way I say we. As if I'm like, yeah, like we're going. Put my little mini turnouts on. But um, we learn that Ripley has set up base camp three floors below the fire. And despite multiple stations hitting it all day, it's still only 10% contained. Ryan is there. We see Ryan at base camp because PD were helping out with evacuations. And we see Dearborn being given oxygen. I think there's probably multiple people who can agree that Dearborn will probably need oxygen after (laughs) the exploits of the night before. But she's there, yeah, getting oxygenated. And we learn that there are about 100 civilians who are still 
trapped essentially three floors above the fire, but they're trying to keep them contained because it's safer for them to be there than trying to get out. And Maya volunteers for Vic's sake to be the one to go and do crowd control with these civilians instead of fighting the fire, despite having been desperate to get amongst the action all the live long day. So now that we've kind of set the scene, shall we break it down into little blocks of who's doing what for a little while? Yeah, that might help organise the, yeah. the way the incident happens a little bit. Yeah, because it was quite frenetic, wasn't it? So yeah. if I start out with Pruitt and Ryan, because obviously Pruitt is still back at 19 and Ryan is in the skyscraper. He's been helping with evacuations. So Pruitt phones Ryan. He, he calls him up and says, look, I don't want to pull an aid car away from the skyscraper fire, but I think I need to go to the hospital. <laughs> and he says yeah. he doesn't feel well enough to drive and he definitely doesn't look well enough to drive. He's very short of breath, a bit sweaty. And Ryan says he's being tagged out of the skyscraper fire anyway, so he'll come and get Pruitt. Then Pruitt tells Ryan not to tell Andy, which puts him in a bit of a tough spot when he sees her just before he's about to leave. Then at 19, we see Miranda turning up and she's looking for Pruitt, who hasn't turned up for the appointment that he had scheduled with her and Ryan turns up like seconds after her. They turn up at more or less the same time. So they search the station and find Pruitt collapsed on the stairwell with no poles. So Miranda administers CPR whilst Ryan goes to get his cop car, which comes screeching into the barn. And then he rather heroically throws Pruitt over his shoulder. They bang him in the back of the cop car and they rush him the three blocks with the blues and twos going to Grace Lane. And that's where we leave them. Yep. So then if we do Andy, Jack and Miller. Mm -hmm. Okay. So Dearborn is with them. Poor Andy. can't believe I just said poor Andy. <laughs> anyway. Um, but once again, Dearborn shows herself to be a bit of a show off and a bit gung ho because she starts off by racing back into the fire instead of taking a break after her being reoxygenated. And she says that it's because Ripley's watching. <laughs> so great way to go against protocol and act in an unsafe manner in front of the guy that you're hoping to give you a job. But hey. Then, like an idiot, just after being told that they need to be careful because there's falling debris, she leaps over a big fire to try and get to a fire door. And then we hear a crash, falling debris, and Andy can't get Dearborn back on the radio. So then Andy is forced to follow her and jump over the fire and then finds her trapped under a desk. But she also finds that they are now both trapped between two fires. So Andy then unleashes what looks like a very futuristic gadget that, again, we've never seen this thing again. <laughs> and apparently Dearborn's never seen one either. But maybe it's one of those things, you remember in the last episode, Andy said that she and Jack had authorised some cool gear. Yeah. 
I was thinking that maybe that was something that they'd just got authorized, but it's essentially a fire extinguisher in a handy ball, which she lobs into yeah. the fire that they just jumped over, which then which we never see again. By the way, we never no. see that ball thing again. Exactly, that's what I say. We, we, <laughs> it's like this genius thing. We never see another one of them. No, but it it extinguishes the fire that they just jumped over. So Jack and Dean can now get in safely and can help Andy to release Dearborn from under this desk web she's trapped under and they can get her out and Dearborn cannot resist can she (laughs) and makes another one of her trademark slights against Andy saying that when she's captain 19 she's going to make Andy the pitcher of the softball team after seeing her through the CO2 sphere you can't help but laugh at Dearborn sometimes like she is kind of funny sometimes she is sometimes I mean she's she's not being overly cocky yeah but that was funny um Andy has taken the injured Dearborn down to base camp Dean and Jack have remained on the floor and are wandering around with fire extinguishers putting out all these little mini fires and Dean cannot contain it anymore and he has to confess to Jack that he was the one that put the wrong code into the manual override system in the previous episode, which resulted in Jack being locked in the hotbox garage. Jack says it could have happened to anyone in a high-pressure situation, but Dean admits that it was actually just because he'd been out partying with JJ. But then mid-apology, Dean spots a load of pressurised tanks and other combustible materials on the floor. And so Jack reports it back to base and says that if the fire jumps floors and reaches that floor, the whole lot's going to blow. And so now they need to completely evacuate the building. Can we say foreshadowing again? Foreshadowing again. (laughs) 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 So then if we go to Vic and Maya, who've gone to the floor with all the civilians on it, they meet Molly God Molly. bless little Molly. Her friends, and her friends call her Molly. Her friends call her Molly. <laughs> She's wearing her little high-vis jacket. She's got her little flip chart. And I think she's probably quite a low-level employee in the office that occupies that floor. Like maybe she's like a little admin person or something. I don't know. But but she's taken on the position, the voluntary position of, well, we call it a fire marshal over here. But I think the fire marshal has a different role as a city employee in in America. And it's not just the person that is in in charge of the clipboard in an office building. Right. But for the fact that I don't know what else to call her, I'm going to just keep calling her the fire marshal if that's okay. Yeah, that's fine. Thanks, mate. So, um, yeah, bless her. She's, She's taking her fire marshal position very seriously. And then Maya starts to try and explain to her why everybody needs to stay on the floor, despite it seeming counterintuitive. But Molly is way ahead of Maya and she flips to the relevant page, the relevant section in her little manual and uh, tells Maya exactly why they have to stay there before blowing a whistle and sending a group of people out for their restroom break. (laughs) I loved her. And Maya looks on with a smile on her face, impressed as hell. And then Vic calls Molly a little Herrera. 
Now, would you argue that she was a little Herrera or a little Maya? I've literally written down, but I think she's more like a little Maya. Yeah, I've I've had people say that, that they, they think that she was a little Maya, not a little Herrera. Especially with the manual and the whistle. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It reminded me of Maya in um, Season 3, Episode 5. Oh, jeez. Yeah, actually, yeah. Did she not have a clipboard and a whistle? Mm-hmm. There you go. Because Pruitt told her to ditch the clipboard and then ditch, and then she blows the whistle and he's like, I had the whistle. <laughs> yeah. So she's learned things from Molly. Then Myra and Andy kind of make their way around the floor checking for smoke together. So they're sort of walking and talking. And Vic thanks Maya for volunteering to be on the no fire floor with her. And Maya asks if any of the drills have been helping Vic with her fear of fire. And Vic says that they're not. And so she might be following Jack out of the door. And Maya says it feels like the band's breaking up. Bless her. And Vic says that Maya should just be thankful she's not the one leaving the band. Which prompts Maya to say that she always envisioned her running 19 with Andy, not with someone else. Which I thought was interesting because she's not in line for captain at this point, Herrera is. But then I guess maybe she knows that Andy's kind of taken herself, like Andy genuinely thinks she's not in the running. So maybe at this point she thinks that she's going to leapfrog Andy. I don't know. Is that what you think? Just more foreshadowing, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And then their conversation is interrupted by a suited man giving Molly the old hairdryer treatment, saying that she and her stupid vest can't make him stay in the building. And then Maya runs to Molly's defense and says, actually, FD are in charge of the building. And as such, she's putting Molly in charge of the door. Ergo. Molly's the one that absolutely can stop him from leaving. So in the interim, we find out via Jack, don't we, that the building now needs to be evacuated. So their job is no longer keep civilians on the floor. It's safely get the civilians out. And in base camp, Ripley has said that the only way to do that is to draw the smoke in the stairwell into something called a PP. VVAC sounds very technical. I didn't bother looking it up. I wasn't sufficiently Yeah, interested. I don't know what that is either. Yeah. And so he tasks Travis and Ben with that. And as we know, the radios have stopped functioning. And so Andy runs up the stairs to Maya and Vic's floor and tells Vic about the impending evacuation while Maya finishes screaming at the rude man in a suit. And then Molly blows her whistle, tells everyone that enough is enough. And despite having been belittled by said rude man in the suit, who tells her that she just makes coffee and copies, she stands firm and says he can treat her as a joke if he wants. But she's treating this fire marshal job seriously. Her job is to keep him safe. And she knows that letting him down the stairs isn't safe. So he's going to need to shut up and stay put so the firefighters can concentrate on saving all their lives and needless to say Maya Vic and Andy are massively impressed and I think that Maya's proud smile at this point might be my most gifable moment of the episode (laughs) like Anna girl so now with the evacuation orders Maya instructs Molly to lead the first group of civilians down the stairs and Molly argues that she should 
stay up on the floor and help. But Maya says that's the firefighter's job and Molly's job is to lead people to safety. So much to the relief of Molly, who cries and says that she knows her mum's outside and that she really wants to see her mum, Maya kind of says, you know, go, leave. And then Vic hears the building creaking and she asks Maya if she can hear it too. And then we hear the ringing in Maya's ears again and just hear Vic in the distance so here is Maya's convenient, or rather it's inconvenient for her, but it's conveniently there for the writers when they need to create drama. But Maya's mm-hmm. in and out hearing loss. Then we get the explosion. So if I go back to just discussing things in general and then we'll break off again. <laughs> so because we go to Dean and Jack from Vic saying, oh, can you hear that? We go to Dean and Jack and they can hear the creaking as well. They look out of the window and they see massive flames and the creak is being caused by the fire jumping floors. Then we flash to Warren and Travis, who we hadn't seen, I don't think, since Ripley sent them off to get rid of the black smoke. Right. And then we flash to Vic and Maya and they're both those pairs are on their respective floors Vic yells to Maya to get down, but she conveniently doesn't hear because she's heard everything up until this point, but suddenly her hearing's gone again. So she doesn't hear Vic telling her to get down. And so all four of them, so Travis and Warren on their floor, Maya and Vic on their floor, are thrown to the ground by a big old explosion. And Vic throws herself on top of Maya, throwing her to the floor and obviously saving her. So if we stay with Vic and Maya, in the aftermath of the explosion, we can see that that floor is now actively on fire. So all of the civilians are panicking and they ignore Maya screaming at them to stay put and they all run down the stairs. Vic stares into the fire, but suddenly her fear is gone and she tells Maya to get the civilians out safely and she's going to knock the fire down. And we hear Vic from Maya's perspective again. She's barely audible over a high-pitched whistling and she asks Maya why she didn't hear her warning her and why she didn't get out of the way. And Maya just brushes it off and says she must have missed it. And they work together to put the fire out and this time Vic's got a big old grin on her face. So how great of a friend is Maya? Like, absolute legend. Despite the unemotional way that she talks and, like, the harshness of the language that she she uses sometimes, she's actually incredibly empathic and empathetic and really giving of herself because straight away when she hears there's a floor with civilians on it, her first thought, all she's been saying all day is, let me get in, let me get in, let me get in, let me get yeah. in. And as soon as she realises, here's an opportunity for Vic to stay out of harm's way. That's the option she takes and drags Vic along with it. Come on, you and me will go and do this thing. She didn't look at Vic. She didn't have to read any emotions. It wasn't an afterthought. It was immediate. Okay, here's where Vic needs to be. I'll go there and make sure she's okay. Yeah bloody brilliant person yeah no she really is she's 
And that's something I think we see in all the later seasons is she's often there for other people, but not a lot of people are often there for her. No. And even with Molly, a person whom she's never met, she empowers her, talks her up, gives her, gives her actual power, you know, to this this man who's trying to belittle her says, no, she's in charge. So she, she empowers her, but then she gives her permission to stand down when she knows she's had enough and not gives her permission in the, like, I'm allowing you to, but she's telling her you can allow yourself to. And yeah. kind of says to her, no, come on, you've done your bit. Go see your mum. Like, Maya. Yeah, she's she's, yeah, she's good. And how awesome is Molly? Yeah, Molly. I mean, she, she really steps up. Yeah. From being, like, timid to, no, I'm going to do this. Little legend. But yeah. she's like Marshall all over again. They're making me care for her. And, you know, spoiler alert, I don't think it's going to end well. <laughs> and just generally I was just annoyed by Maya's in and out hearing loss. I just Yeah. I just yeah, because it's And what was the point here? Because no harm comes of it. Right. And nothing ever really comes of the hearing anyway, so what was the point of just adding that in there? Yeah. It was just, maybe to show that Vic overcame her fear, maybe? Yeah. Maybe they tried to use it for that? Yeah, would she have still overcome? Because it didn't affect Maya negatively. So it's not like right. Vic had to step up and face the fire alone because Maya couldn't hit. Like, she just, it allowed her to be heroic and throw Maya to the ground, but it didn't right. help with her fear of fire. The fact that the fire jumped floors helped her with her fear of fire. Right. Didn't it? I right, but maybe it just showed that she didn't freeze. You know what I mean? That she, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, maybe that, maybe that, yeah. But um, I'm glad that they got her over her fear of fire, though. Bit of immersion therapy. Yeah, me too, yep. Yeah, let's face it head on. Yeah. Anything more to say about that, or should we move on to Ben and Travis? We can move on to Ben and Travis. Okay. So post-explosion, it seems that Ben, I think, momentarily lost consciousness maybe because he seems mm-hmm. to be sort of coming round. And he calls to Montgomery, who we then see with a massive shard of glass sticking out of his chest. Ben's calling in a mayday over the radio, but obviously we know that the radios aren't working, hence Andy having to hightail it up the stairs. Travis is worried that he's going to bleed out because the glass has hit his pulmonary artery, but Ben says he's pretty sure it's missed said artery. And he said that he's going to drag Travis down the stairs to get him patched up. When Ben opens the door to the stairwell, he sees the hordes of people that have run panicked down from Myron Vic's floor. So he just slams the door shut again and waits for the stairwell to clear. And then he starts dragging Travis down the stairs saying that they'll be laughing about this tomorrow. But he's stopped in his tracks when he hears a faint whistle, which is coming from poor little Molly, who he sees lying helpless on the stairs, having been trampled by the stampede of people who had run down from the top floor. And despite his predicament, Travis asks Ben how Molly's breath sounds are. 
Ben confirms that she's got a pneumothorax and he's going to need to reinflate her lung. And when he goes over to sort of find something about Travis's person to reinflate Molly's lung with, he notices that Travis's bleeding has worsened and he's trying to keep the pressure on Travis's wound. But Travis tells him that Molly's going to die if he doesn't get her down the stairs and that he should save the life he can save. And they both know that that's not Travis's. So... Should Ben have listened to past Travis, firefighters' lives first, or should he be listening to present Travis, who's saying save Molly? Well, I think as firefighters, they, they're going to tell each other to save the civilian first, because that's their job. Um, that, was a, that was a tough situation, I think, to be in for Warren, because yeah. I, I don't know what I would have done. No. If I would have saved Travis or the civilian, I don't know. Um, I didn't envy that position at all. That's a tough no, place to be in. That is a disgusting position to be in. Yeah. But I think maybe he's lucky. It's still not going to help him emotionally, I don't think, feel any better about it. But I think Ben can intellectually look at it as a surgeon and play the percentages. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, I think that yeah. that's probably the only way that you can make that decision. So if it had been Maya or Dean or anyone else, I think that they, ha- like, what do you do? Flip a coin? Right. Whereas Ben, I guess, can try and look at it critically and say, who yeah. has the better chance of survival? Right. Well, and it was wrong, right? <laughs> yeah. So. But at least you can. He tried, though. But at that point, he had like a a way to come to the decision that he could justify to himself, I think. Yeah. But man, that was, that was rough. Yeah. That was a tough place. Do not envy that spot at all. No. So that's the point at which we leave Travis and Warren and poor little Molly. Now we've got Dean, Jack and Andy to resolve. So now they're evacuating, Andy and Ripley are loading supplies onto a gurney and they actually exchange compliments. And uh, she tells him that a lot of chiefs would be safely outside by now, so she admires that about him. And he tells her that he's seeing a lot of good things from her that day. And then we go to Dean and Jack, who are still using extinguishers to go and put out tiny fires. And they say that they're going to close all the fire doors to try and contain the fire before making their way out to safety. But they're disrupted when they hear banging and go and find someone who is suffering from smoke inhalation on the floor of a closet, which he had entered by mistake thinking it was the exit. They managed to radio down to Ripley that they need to evacuate this gentleman via the elevators because the stairs aren't safe. But Ripley tells them it can't be done because they can't send the elevator past the fire line, that the protocol is they just save who they can save and then get themselves out, which I guess in this instance means that this chap is unsavable if they can't get him down the stairs. So he's basically saying, leave him and go. Um, And he then undoes all of the good that she's just previously done with Ripley by starting an argument with him, accusing him of abandoning them because of protocol. And he says it's a terrible decision to have to make, but it is his decision to make, and that he's prepared to sacrifice one man's life to save hundreds more. 
and reminds her actually, well, this is a job that you want. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. and then she defies Ripley anyway by physically grabbing the keys out of his hand and sending the elevator up to Jack. She's just such a naughty girl. <laughs> Not in a good way. Um, Dean and Jack put the civilian in the elevator and Jack says to Dean, you're still my guy. This whole floor is about to blow any minute and we haven't finished closing the fire doors. Then he hits the down button and jumps out of the elevator, sending Dean and the civilian down to safety. That's the last we're going to see of Dino at this point. Jack then radios down to Andy and says they are on their way rather than we are on our way. So she knows that Jack's going rogue again and she says that she wants to talk to him face to face. So they force open the elevator doors on their respective floors so they can have a chat through the elevator shaft and Andy begs Jack to find a way out but he says there just isn't one and that he's of most use where he is. And she says that she didn't send him the elevator for him to not take it, tells him not to be a hero and to be alive instead. And he says that he might be able to save himself, but then what about everyone else? Because Vic, Meyer, Travis and Warren are still in the building, as is Dean, who is still in the elevator. And he says he's not prepared to sacrifice the team for himself. And he tells Andy to run. And that he'd lied before about having regrets and that he's got no regrets about Andy. He considers that he won. And he says that he's going to stay with her on the radio before they close the doors and go on with their mission. And they start talking, but before Andy can even get herself to the stairs, Jack stops responding. Then we hear nothing but static and a huge explosion. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, it was dramatic. Yeah, and that's literally how we leave them. That's how the season finale ends. Yep. So what did you think of Jack's heroics? Has he done the right thing? Um, I mean, I, I think so. I mean, that's... I would. You want to save your friends over yourself, right? Yep. Um, I think it was really brave of him to show him doing that. And, um... I mean, it was a goosebump. It was a goosebumpy way to end the, you know, way to end the finale, and yeah. I thought it was really good. Same, same. Completely agree. What did you think of Andy's actions? Stealing the kit, just literally. I mean, she literally just like eyeballed Ripley, yanked the keys out of his hands, and continued to eyeball him as she radioed Jack, saying the elevator's on its way. Like, I'm going to say a really bad word. But her face could not have said, like, fuck you, guy, anymore (laughs) if she tried. Well, and, I mean, at that point, she knew she was giving up captaincy, right? But her friends were more important. Mm -hmm. And saving people was more important. So, to me, that was a very very selfless thing for Andy to do. Oh, she fully kissed it goodbye in doing that. Yeah, which is not, you know, normally Andy is very self-centered. So that was a very selfless thing for her to do. I mean, she knew that she was screwed basically anyway. She'd already resigned herself, hadn't she, to the fact that she didn't have the captaincy anyway. Mm. I think she could have done it probably without slagging Ripley off. (laughs) Yeah. Without having a go at him. 
but I completely understand. And who wouldn't do that? Yeah. If someone's kind of saying, no, 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 we're going to leave your friends to die now, who just kind of goes, that's sad, but let's go. (laughs) Right. You do. Like, who could live like that? Yeah. So in this situation, I'm with with Andy. I'd have done the same thing. As I say, perhaps wouldn't have yelled at him first. So is there anything more did we i don't think we missed anything i think we hit all the major bits yeah no i think that was good was there anything else that you wanted to discuss that i didn't pick up on about anyone's actions thoughts feelings like anything no i think it was a good it was a good season one finale Um, finale wasn't it yeah it was pretty good for the you know the first season and i think it did pretty good yeah, and I thought it was dramatic rather than thematic. I, I didn't see any yes. themes. It was just, wasn't it? Yeah, like it was. Yeah, I agree. So I guess for me, the thing that I would be looking forward to in the season premiere for the next season is are Jack Meyer, Vic Dean, Ben, Molly, and Travis still alive? Right. What, especially Jack. What happens with Jack? Yeah. And Travis, who was left bleeding on the floor. Yeah. So that's literally it, really, isn't it? That's how the yeah how it left us. Did you think that anyone had any particularly notable growth in this episode? I think they showed growth with each other. Like Andy showed growth, caring more about the team than herself, because usually, like it's very it's very Andy centered. You know, Jack showed growth in, in caring more about others than himself. Um, so I saw growth in the way that they treated each other and acted with each other, but not necessarily growth in the way that we've talked about it in the past. No. Vic, she yeah. got over a fear of fire. Yeah, she did. Pretty quickly and epically. Did you have a favorite scene or did you have a scene that you thought was a standout scene? Um, I really liked when that, when Molly told her boss off. Yeah, that was a cracker. And how Vic and Maya were like, heck yeah. I really liked that scene. That was yeah, a good Yeah, that scene. was a good one. That was a good one. I, I kind of liked Travis and Ben in the stairwell. Yeah, that was, that was a good one too. That was good. And I loved the way that Paris Barkley shot the elevator shaft scene with Jack and Andy talking to each other. Yeah. But Jack's speech was just a bit saccharine for me. Well, okay. I loved the way it was shot, but the dialogue was a bit like, it was a bit schmaltzy for my liking. Didn't do much for you? No, but I loved the way it was shot. So um, I do want to give Paris Barkley some props for that. Okay. Did you have any favorite lines or favorite dialogue? Favorite lines or favorite dialogue? Um, I really liked Jack's dialogue when he was talking to Andy at the top of the elevator, like that he said he didn't have any regrets. Um, I really liked that dialogue between those two. Yeah. I liked the sentiment. I just had a problem with yeah the way it was written on the page and probably delivered to be honest it's just felt the sentiment i loved 
but the rest of it just yeah. was a bit like clunky for me. I don't know. Okay. Um, I liked just about everything that came out of Molly's mouth. Yeah. I, I liked when she, my, my other favorite line, I was trying to, I was trying to be, um, emotional about it. But my other favorite line was my name's Molly and my friends call me Molly. <laughs> I liked that scene a lot, that line a lot. Yeah. Um, I thought that she did an excellent job when she was breaking down just before Maya sent her to see her mum. Yeah. I thought that little speech that she gave when she was saying, I'd really, I don't really want to see my mum. I thought yeah, that, that was, was very well written and delivered. I, I yeah. enjoyed that. And do you have a most gifable moment? Mm. Probably the look on Ripley's face when, and, and the look at the, the visual exchange between Andy and Ripley when she took the keys. Oh yeah. Oh no, you didn't. Yeah. Yeah. That, that look was, could be like that, that scene of them looking at each other. It could be a gif, I think. It could. Yeah. I'm sticking with Maya's proud mama bear face when Molly. Yeah. Yeah. Up for herself. Well, what an absolute banger of a season finale. Yeah. So we'll see everyone next year when we come back to <laughs> <laughs> or not, but no, we will do the season premiere, won't we, next week as per usual. So it's called No Recovery and it says lives hang in the balance as the members of Station 19 continue to fight a raging inferno inside a skyscraper. Meanwhile, Pruitt's health is in grave danger at Grey Sloan and a seasoned firefighter with a mysterious past arrives at Station 19, leaving everyone to wonder what the future holds. Because it is basically a two-parter, isn't it, this one? It is, yeah. So we're going to do that. And then what we're going to try and do, folks, is just to break things up and make things a little bit more interesting, we're going to try and do a standalone episode of the podcast after we've dealt with this skyscraper fire. So stand by because, yeah, it's something just a little bit different, we hope. Way to be mysterious. Well, it's not just a seasoned firefighter with a mysterious past that's going to be arriving right. in our No, future. it's not. That's, the only, that's not the only mysterious thing. <laughs> but no, we're, it's something just a little bit different that we thought would spice things up a little bit. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be a fair whack of work I worked out when I started to do the planning for it. I was like, oh, we've taken on quite a lot. But I think it's going to be worth it. I think it's going to be a neat little episode. So because we were going to have a few little interludes spotted in in between our regular episodes during this hiatus. And we won't say too much, like we won't name names because you know what I'm like about over-promising and under-delivering. Right. But we did have three very significant people from the Station 19 universe who verbally agreed, at least, to be guests on the podcast. But because all three are members of at least one of the unions, one person is a member of more than one union (laughs) that I know of, that are currently striking, 
for them to be guests on the podcast would mean them crossing the picket line. So we would absolutely not ask them to keep their word and come and be guests all the while it would mean them crossing the picket line. So until that is resolved, we're not going to refresh the invitation. So we've got to try and do other things to try and keep you guys entertained. Yeah, we're, 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 we'll figure it out. We'll get some fun stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, what time is it where you are now? 6.25. What time is your alarm going off? 6.45. So you've got 10 minutes to go nap. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Bless you. So. All right. Well, I better let you go and get ready for work and start the second part of your already very long day. Yeah, of my already long day. Did you see that? What? Your flight just by the power it, it of came to the you. internet is now in my kitchen. Mm-hmm. I'm not even kidding. I saw it fly out of your screen and then a fly <laughs> flew in front of me. I was like, what the fudge? <laughs> the international fly. <laughs> the international fly. He made good time. He did make good time. He did. All right. Well, I'm going to go find a swat or a cat. I've got a couple to choose from. Yeah, and, find uh, your cat. Yeah, and deal, deal with this infestation, and I'll let you go and get on with your day. All right, bye, everybody. It was wonderful to see you. You too. Darling. Mm-hmm. Bye. 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 bye.